Peeps, it's February 3rd. It's Thursday. It's raining on the East Coast, but not for long. Looks like it's raining in the market. This is Market Call. Today, we're focusing on the latest Wall Street research with a twist, not Tony Twist. Joining us in a few minutes, Elizabeth Young from SoFi. Today's Market Call is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. And open exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that matter. And I'm telling you, given what's going on in the world, sucker, this meeting matters. Yeah, it does, my man. I mean, listen, we just got to get into this here. You know, I just want to slap up my facts at watch list. This is my front page. I have many, many other stocks behind it, guy. But this one is really telling a very, very nasty story. These are some themes that we've been talking about on Market Call really for months here. And it's that far right column in each of these kind of sector columns here that's really disturbing the year to date performance. And you could say, well, they can't continue to go down like this. But it really is, to me, what's most important, the massive sentiment shift that we have just seen from 2021 to 2022 here. And a lot of the themes have continued on, but it really feels like a bit of a gut punch here. And you know, it's funny, guy, because you like to look at the VIX. You know, I'm deemed the kind of the option guy here. Mm. You like to look at the VIX here. And you had a great call on the VIX when you thought it got to those prior highs, you know, above 30, not likely to be sustained. And we did have a really sharp market rally on the heels of some of those better than expected earnings from Microsoft from Apple, but it, I'm not certain it sticks here, Guy. I feel like we're going to have another test of those recent highs in the VIX. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think it's over necessarily, but what we've learned, I think, over the last year, I mean, forget about March and April of 2020, notwithstanding, I get it, but since then, these spikes in the VIX have not lasted long. They last no. a couple days at most, maybe three, and I think that's why I thought this would be short-lived as well. Now, I happen to agree with you. I don't think the worst is over by any stretch, But we did see the VIX, which I think peaked around 39 or so, ratchet all the way back down to 20. And that's been the pattern literally for the last almost two years now, Dan. Yeah, well, you and I were saying on Market Call earlier in the week that we just thought that wasn't a great setup because, you know, you had this unusually bearish sentiment. Things happened very quickly in January to the downside. But then you had Microsoft and Apple, two of the largest, two of the largest uh, market cap companies on the planet, you know, with $5 trillion in combined market cap. Not only did they put up good quarters, but they gave good guidance. And I think that was really a false sense of security. Obviously, Alphabet did the same here. We're going to talk about some of the gaps, but I think it's really important. Why are we not going to do street research today? You know why? Because nearly 98% of the analysts who cover Facebook, the stock that gapped down 27% today off of a $900 billion market cap, rated the stock a buy. And in certain instances, single stock research doesn't really matter. We're going to preview Amazon's results that come out after the close, and we're going to tell you why we think they're really important. But we have a handful of issues that we want to talk about that we've been talking about on Market Call for months now. Now that we basically thought we're going to cause a great deal of downward volatility in the equity markets. And guy, I just want to run through the bullets and let's hit each one one by one after that. One of the issues that we've been talking about for months is the persistent weakness in high growth tech stocks, high valuation tech stocks, recent IPOs, and SPACs. Well, that has really persisted into this year in a really nasty sort of way. The other one, and you were all over this in the fall, the relative underperformance in the small 
small caps, specifically the Russell 2000 or the IWM, the ETF that tracks them, the long consolidation, the failed breakout in November, and it was the first major U.S. indice to break down in a meaningful way over the last month or two. The other one would be the growing concentration. We've been talking about this a lot in what we call the F-MAGA complex, the Facebook, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and Amazon, and the fact that they just masked a, ro- a lot of really bad performance under the hood for a better part of the year. You and I thought that was really dangerous. And then lastly, mind the gap. I mean, when you see a company like Facebook gap down 20 plus percent on a bad piece of fundamental news, you know there's a whole heck of a lot of investors off sides. And it wasn't just Facebook. There was other household names. The other day, PayPal was down 25%. The week before that, Netflix down 25% after disappointing earnings. So all of that combined, Guy, I don't think this is the sort of thing where you BTFD right now. Yeah, so let's take it one by one. This chart that we have up, obviously the ARK ETF, you see where it topped out early in 2021. You see where we are now. I mean, that's more than a 50% decline, but it suggests exactly that these high valuation, high growth names have been taken out to the woodshed and they're being punished. And Listen, probably deservedly so. We're going to talk about rates in a while. That's one of the components. But I think, you know, we're just looking at an environment now where valuations matter. And if you don't believe us, if you just look at this chart, I mean, a picture tells a picture tells a story that Rod Stewart song. And here we are now. Next thing, underperformance in the form of the IWM, which if you look at this chart again, this tells you everything you need to know. The Russell had a huge move to the upside from April of 2020 at those lows you obviously saw what happened as the recovery started. Sideways action until November when we had that beat, October, November, had that huge false breakout. Now, here we are. Why do I think this is important? I think that's really what we have to talk about is because I think, as I've said a hundred times, these stocks represent the most economically sensitive names. And in an environment where rates are going higher, it stands to reason that these names should be doing well because higher rates are suggestive of a growing economy. It's telling a much different story. In this case, Dan, my opinion, higher rates are telling a story of inflation. And these, the IWM is telling a story of slowing growth. Just your thoughts on that real quick. Yeah, I mean, that's another theme we've been talking about is the idea of stagflation. And we're starting to see it in some of the data. You know, we're going to have that jobs number tomorrow. It'll be really interesting. I mean, you and I are kind of on different camps or in different camps as it relates to inflation. I I fully expect, you know, to see the CPI cut in half in in a matter of months from that 7% 40-year high that we saw. But again, I think the Fed is hiking into a slowing environment. And I think some of the scars from the pandemic, from the supply chain disruptions, you know, they're going to be around for a while, right? So we're going to have fits and starts as far as the economy and the reflation goes. And I'll just say this, you know, you know, we talk about some of those high valuation names and that ARC in particular down 50%. Some of the companies that make up a big percentage of the weight, they might be the long-term winners. It really comes down to what you just mentioned with valuation. And I, and I got to tell you, you know, you and I are the fast money guys, right? You've been doing that show for 72 years or however however long it's been on the radio into TV here. You know, we're traders. We brought up as traders on Wall Street and we like to look at a lot of different inputs, but it was one of the things for, you know, for months now, guy, people have been saying that, have been tweeting at us, you know, we've been saying it on Market Call or on Fast Money. Why do you guys obsess on those five stocks, right, that made up about 30% at their highs or five or six stocks um, of the S&P 500, about 50% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100? Because in our lifetimes, and when we've seen protracted bear markets, that instance has always happened. We've seen this concentration of a handful of names. It doesn't end well. It can 
make you feel okay for a while, you know what I mean? But ultimately, something has to break. Something has to come unwind. And that's why we're focused on all of that persistent weakness and so many other parts of the market over the last six months or so. And you look at this S&P, look at the SPY, the ETF that tracks it guy. I mean, it retraced about 50% of that move from those recent highs here. It's kind of in a difficult spot here. If it were to head back towards those lows just above 430, you know, that's going to be a big moment of truth for whether or not this market can find its footing and has a chance of closing up on the year 11 months from now. Best thing that can happen for the market, again, my opinion, probably one of the more painful things that could happen as well would be this thing to flush down to 4,000 or thereabouts and then find its foothold and shake out some of these weak hands. I think it needs to be done. It's long overdue, and I think we're in the midst of it now. And just to sort of echo your thoughts, believe me, it gives me no great joy to talk about the same five or six names every night. We do it just to illustrate exactly what you're talking about. Although the broader market hasn't cared, and it's been bolstered by these names, under the surface, the damage has been done. And I think that's what you're seeing now manifests itself in a lot of the broader market moves. The last thing you want to talk about is this mind the gap, which I think is really important because, you know, you don't typically see stocks recover from some of the moves we have. This obviously speaks to a different market, but exactly the same type of thing. Huge flush to the downside, rally back up to the moving average, now giving it up. And, you know, again, I think this obviously, we're going to talk about Facebook real quick as we have to, but this is illustrative of what's happened in one specific name overnight. Yeah, I, I think that QQQ is a really interesting chart that they just flashed there because, you know, it did get back to that 200-day moving average, but, you know, the NASDAQ is still, you know, to the downside, double the performance of the S&P 500, or the negative performance, that is. It's still down a little more than 10% or so, and I think that, obviously, Facebook's, you know, at its lows today, I mean, right now, as we're talking, it's down about 25%. I think it was down maybe 28%. That stock went out with a $900 billion market cap, and one of the reasons why, again, I joke, you know, about your long-storied career, you started in the late 80s. I started in the late 90s here. But one thing that was consistent about every market top that you and I have been through over the time is when you lose market leadership and then you lose it in a dramatic way. And that is what's happening here with Facebook. And we just mentioned PayPal last week and Netflix. These are all names that are in everyone's portfolios and they became very big market cap companies. And I think you would be very, you know, it would be lazy to not focus on this and think about how that same thing happened into the top in 2000 and 2001 and the same thing happened in a totally different group of stocks into the financial crisis with financials it was the same action so you can dismiss it you can say that it's different this time but that's not likely to end particularly well guy if you own mutual funds you own facebook almost by definition so whether or not you think you own or not it should be focused on it or not you do and look at this chart and these do not reconcile themselves overnight you do not see moves like this Every few months. I mean, this does not happen often. And here we are. I mean, and by the way, Dan, and I know you know this, this is a precipitous drop from a level that we had precipitously dropped from in August. Now, you said something to me before our show last night, and I mentioned it on Fast Money last night. It's not like this has not happened before. You saw the exact same thing happen to Facebook in July of 2018, literally until Christmas Eve, when the stock went from about 225 down to 105 or so and sort of capitulated literally on Christmas Eve. And then you subsequently saw what happened. So the calendar sets up extraordinarily similar. The only difference is that was July. This is August. 
Yeah, well, listen, you know, and we've been talking about these gaps for a while. Let's just run through them. Look at this PayPal gap. You know, that happened, you know, six months ago from a high. And people often say, well, stock markets or stocks don't crash from highs. Well, they certainly do. And the fact that some of these stocks that have already gapped on fundamental lose are now gapping again tells you that the fundamental story has changed. And I know that we have a couple more charts here, but we saw Netflix do the same. And then, you know, it goes back to the fall. We saw Snap on one day had a 25% gap from an all-time high just really bad bad price action here so i just think that you know you could say this is a buying opportunity i think that a lot of new entrants to the market have not they don't know what a protracted bear market feels like but if you own a lot of these stocks individually over the last year you actually do you are in a bear market the market many parts of the market have crashed and one of the reasons we started with the major indices or the etf that tracks them is because if they're another leg lower in those then the market structure, the things that we know over the last few years are a bit broken. And you've made this point, Guy, on many occasions is that, you know what, we just haven't done this. We haven't had this slowing economy or we haven't had a market rolling over into a rate hiking cycle. Let's see what happens with that. But you know what I've learned over the months is that people tune in on Thursdays. They don't want to see Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. They want to see Elizabeth Young from SoFi. I call her EY from SoFi, that will catch on, by the way. As a matter of fact, I guarantee that as she walks around the office there, people are saying, what up, EY? Well, what up, EY? You just heard Dan and I for 12 minutes. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, first of all, there's not a lot of people here, so (laughs) that doesn't happen very often. You know, I, I said earlier, before we started the show, I have nervous energy today, and I do have nervous energy. Last week, I was fired up because people were saying the Fed was going to have to back off. There was volatility, and they were going to calm down, and I got fired up because I thought, absolutely not. They're not going to back off. This week, I'm nervous because, obviously, we have volatility today. I was buying at the open, and I bought individual names. I'm not allowed to tell you which ones, but here's why I'm nervous. It's uncomfortable because, as a strategist, usually we talk about making broad moves, right? Or I would come on and say by this sector broadly or by this type of market broadly. And I don't think that works right now. You have to be choosy and you have to pick really specific spots. So it gives me some nerves and it's like, should I stay or should I go sort of thing? Where do we pick those spots? But I think that's a good place to be. It's better than having nerves because the market just goes up over and over and over again. But I also I have a question, guy. Oh, I like this. Oh, wait taken, a second. You're turning you t- the tables. Unrelated. On us. I, hold Unre- on. Let me just. Yeah. I got to listen you, now. Go, please. But you're setting me up perfectly. What you're doing. Have you ever taken media training, like formal media training, where they tell you, you know, what to do in the frame and like what kind of clothes to wear and all that stuff? No, you know, it's an excellent question. You're clearly suggesting that <laughs> if I haven't yet, I should. So the the short answer is no, I have not. Although I will <laughs> tell you this. I've actually given media training. So how how about them apples, sister? Yeah. So one of the things they tell you is to keep your hands out of the frame, right? I know. I'm I'm all over the place. I mean, like, you know. (laughs) But you made me giggle at the top of the show because you got your arms out, fingers waving everywhere, and I do the same thing. I eventually told them at one point, stop telling me that because if I can't move my hands, my mouth won't work. So So Liz, they call that nervous. One and the same. They call that nervous energy, I think, when, when it comes to Guy Adami. Yeah. Liz, are yeah. there any of, the, any of the points that that we made, some of the things that we're calling kind of canaries in the coal mine? And, and I think you can tell that Guy and I don't think this is coming back anytime soon. Are there any one, yeah. one of those points more than others that really kind of stick out to you that you want to kind of suggest to your client base to keep an eye, uh, eye out for, whether it could resolve itself or not? So 
the Russell 2001, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this because I've been pounding the table about small caps for a long time. And now I've been pounding the table wrong for a long time. That particular category, I think what I got wrong was that it would trade on fear rather than economic growth, right? And the other thing I want to point out, you talked about slowing growth and, and there's a lot of narratives right now about slowing growth. There's a difference between slowing and contracting. We're not contracting right? It's slowing in the sense that the slope of the line has flattened, meaning we're not growing at the same clip, but we're still growing. Mm -hmm. And the real concern is if inflation doesn't come down, your, your real growth, right, isn't as good. So I think as 2022 gets older, small caps probably level out here. You know, I'm not of the camp that I think they're going to plummet but I think they level out here. Again, though, you have to be choosy about it, right? I think small cap growth is probably in a bad spot because they're already more sensitive. They're already higher beta and just growth in general is getting hit. You're guilty by association in the growth space. I mean, you see one little bit of news about a name and the entire sector goes down, right? So small cap has been a really frustrating spot for me, but I haven't exited the position. And I'm going to hold on to it. I have a loss in some of the positions, but I'm going to hold on to it because I do think that there's some recovery that happens there. The other thing I would say, the mind the gap stuff, you know, I think that there's some names on earnings news that have gotten overly punished. And I think that's going to be the theme this year. We're going to overly punish misses and overly punish lowered guidance, but not reward anything that happens on the upside. So some of the names that have fallen off completely on a, on a simple you know, change in narrative in earnings, I think is an overly punished thing. And, and frankly, that's part of what I bought at the open today. Those are the opportunities. So those are the two themes that I think probably could come back a little bit more than the others. Elizabeth, in college, I took a class on Stanislavski. It's a method acting type of thing. So I mentioned that because I could watch Tom Cruise. I'm using my hands. Read the phone book. You're saying to yourself, why are you talking about Tom Cruise? Well, because what you wrote about, show me the flows. In your mind, you're thinking, show me the money, Jerry. Show me the money. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, show me the flows, EY. You are not wrong. And Tom Cruise and I share a birthday. Stop. I don't know if I should be proud of that Stop. or embarrassed about that. <laughs> Same birthday, me and Tom. Okay, so show me the flows. What I looked at, this week, I thought it would be really interesting to see after January, you know, we had the second worst January in the NASDAQ ever, the worst January in the S&P since 2009. And I wanted to know, did it scare people enough, right? Did people get scared enough to run for the exit? Because we had talked about it all month that, oh, there's all these newer investors. They don't know how to do this. They're going to run away and never come back, especially the meme stalkers. They're going to run away and never come back. So then I dug into the flows and what we found, first of all, in 2021, there was an absolutely record year of inflows into equities, $700 billion into equities in 2021, which is more than 2018, 19, and 20 combined. So huge inflows into equities, which told me two things. Number one, people were probably offsides in their equity allocations, meaning they probably had too much in risk assets. So taking some flows out of equities in the month of January wouldn't be such a bad thing for the, the balance sheet of an investor. And the other thing is, okay, then how does that compare to how much actually came out in January? So if you take that 700 billion, that's an average of 58 billion a month that went into equities in 2021, only 8.9 billion came out in January. So all things considered, 
for one of the worst months we've had in a long time, people stayed invested in the stock market. I'm not going to use the word Tina because I think Guy will have a heart attack, <laughs> but it's still there. There's nowhere else to go, right? There's nowhere, there's no other option. People don't want cash. They don't want bonds. They don't really know what to do with alternatives yet. And if we're putting crypto into that category, obviously we know what happened in January in crypto. So people are still in the stock market. And it's really amazing to see the resilience here. I don't know what's going to take them out. Yeah, before I mean, Dan, hold on. Before yeah. Dan answers, so you said Tina, which you saw, it just makes my head explode. But since you just said, I have nowhere else to go, instead of doing the Tina thing, why don't you go like a Richard Gere from Officer and a Gentleman, if you recall, having watched the movie when you rented it from Blockbuster, when he said to Lou Gossett <laughs> Jr., I have no place else to go. That's where your mind should be. Anyway, Dan, please continue. Guy, sorry. you're talking. She's like a teenager. She's like a millennial here. She doesn't get your pop culture references from it. the mid 80s. Trust here. me. She um, gets no, it. I, I think, listen, again, and I think it's about mindsets, Liz, and, and maybe Guy and I are kind of trapped in some kind of, um, you know, some bear markets that we kind of live through at, at other parts of our career. But it's funny when I start hearing narratives like that, you know, there is a lot of money trapped in very illiquid assets. They're called people's homes that they've been levering up to yeah. kind of buy. You know, we've seen this great migration. All of a sudden, there's lots of people that might be new entrants to the stock market that are buying non-fungible tokens, PFPs, that they identify with. Okay, there's my hands into the screen there. So there's a lot of pockets of illiquid risk out there on top of the stock market. And let me tell you this. If you're a young person and you're looking at the S&P 500 down 10%, you're like, oh, that's not bad. That's what they should be doing. They should be allocating like that. But if you're picking a lot of individual stocks, right, that you use their products or services or that sort of thing, and they're down 50, 60% or so, you may never come back to the stock market. And we've seen that time and time again over the last 25 years or so. So to me, I think a big theme about what we've been talking about today is risk management, is diversification. These are all things that you talk about a great deal. We've been going through your notes for months now, and I think those are really important. So for instance, nobody should be only in high growth stocks that look like that arc. Nobody should only be in small cap stocks, right, that look like that. And, And this year, What's the best performing sector in the market is something that maybe a lot of millennials are not into, but it's fossil fuels, it's energy, you know, that sort of thing. So you got to be diversified. I think that's the main takeaway. Yeah, you know, so there's an interesting stat. I don't know it off the top of my head, so I'll just generally say it. But if you look at the amount that Americans had invested in real estate before the financial crisis, it was huge. It It was way off sides, overly invested in real estate. So obviously we were that much more fragile going into a real estate crisis. Before this one, so before COVID, it was that way, but in equities. So people were more invested in equities than they ever had been and the proportion of their of their overall wealth. So coming into this, that was the fragile spot. And I would say that's probably still the fragile spot. And it's going to affect people's emotions that much more, even if it's some of it's illiquid, you know, on their balance sheet, but they've still got such a big portion in the equity market. The other thing I would say, I've said this before, I think, I think on the show, don't fall in love with your stocks. And there's a school of thought of you can own stuff because you own or you, you use the products, you know, the company, you know, you let, you know, I drive a BMW, right? So you own whatever company because you believe in that particular product. The ones that I bought today, I don't actually even like the company. I don't use it, but <laughs> I bought it because the stock was a good opportunity. And because I saw what happened as a reaction to some news on the stock. So I absolutely will not fall in love with it because I'm not even in love with the product. But 
it's a stock opportunity. So that's what I mean by don't fall in love with your stocks. And that way, if and when it's time for me to take a gain, hopefully, I can walk away from it without looking back. You should take that same advice with your Packers of Green Bay, your Bucks of Milwaukee, your Brewers of the aforementioned Milwaukee. You don't have a hockey team. Dan, when you when you give somebody a hat tip, what do they call that thing? They call it giving them a hat tip. Oh, <laughs> oddly enough. Well, I've been giving EY hat tips recently because she has said numerous times, you know, these tightening cycles are very difficult. So I think you would agree with that, EY. And I tell you something. Rates continue to go higher, but that's another story for another time as we pull up that rate chart. Dan, you know where I think it's going. I know where you think it's going. That's, as they say, what makes markets. But what makes this show so great is the aforementioned Elizabeth Young of SoFi. And this is where we can find her, folks, in case you were wondering. Slide it, Earl, as they say. Check her out on Twitter. It's at Liz Young Strat, which I totally dig by the way and sign up for sofi's daily newsletter at sofi.com backslash daily to read liz's articles every thursday do you want to say goodbye to dan and i before you outie or no i'll say goodbye to you guys thank you again for having me i'm going to hopefully channel my nervous energy into goodbyes for the rest of the day you know i don't like the i see you sound like the muted ey i like the energetic one with the hands but okay we'll get that on another time thanks Liz. you have a good weekend enjoy the non-football this weekend by the way as they oh, say i will i will dan Bye, guys. we got we got an amazon look ahead that we have to because look yeah. i don't know how this sets uh, quickly i will tell you so i look at this chart pre-facebook and i'd say amazon sets up great in earnings i would have said the same thing about facebook well that proved to be a disaster. What are you looking at here? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Guy. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we, we, we talked about the $5 trillion and the Microsoft and the Apple last week, and that really did put a floor, at least near term, into a plunging stock market, right? And the guidance was really good. As far as Amazon's concerned, if you just take some of the inputs that we're getting about consumer spending and, and the like, I just can't imagine that is going to be fantastic. That being said, you know, they might have some you know, operational sort of leverage that they're able to detail. They've had a couple consecutive disappointing reports since Andy Jazzy took over as CEO. I don't think you can put any of that on, on him by any means. And, and if you were going to focus on their AWS business, if you look at just what Google and Microsoft, the numbers that they put up in their cloud businesses, that should be good for Amazon. So at the end of the day, I think there's very little that Amazon can do that helps the market too much Okay, at this point. But if they were to miss and guide down, the stock at 2820 right now is going through last week's lows. And it probably goes back towards that consolidation level somewhere above 2,500 guy. If you go back and look at the spring summer of 2020, I mean, we've been in this huge, huge consolidation. We just broke down below it. So I think there's very little it does to save the market here. And if we have a disappointing guide, I think there's another gap coming. You know, the implied move in the options market is nearly $230 guy in either direction. That's just tomorrow. Okay. So it's a little more than 8%. The stock has not moved that much on earnings. It did have a 7.5% decline two quarters ago, but here we are. We're down 25% from those highs, down 15% on the year here. I want to be really constructive on this name guy. I almost feel like that next weakness. I went into the year thinking, okay, 3,000 would be a really nice level, but the fundamental story has changed in many of these mega cap high valuation names. I'm curious what your take is on the fundamentals. 
Well, I mean, I don't even know at this point, you know, fundamentals clearly mattered in the form of Facebook because when a stock was down from its all-time high from August, then you saw the subsequent move. Now, all of a sudden, people are saying, wait a second, maybe fundamentally there's challenges here. I will tell you this quick. I thought the same thing that you thought that Amazon would be the back half story of this year. I still believe that, by the way, but I thought it would be from 3,000, not potentially 2,500, which you just outlined in terms of the implied move. And if you think about it, 2,500 makes sense in terms of where we exploded from to the upside in June of 2020. I think a lot of people that are just sort of tourists to the market would think Amazon has had an incredible couple of years. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, if you look at it, Amazon has completely underperformed the broader market. And I think it's, listen, I think that 2,500, I think the crosshairs are absolutely on it, Dan, Nathan. All right. You know what time it is, guy. We do Butter's one for the time. road. It's, it's Butter's time, my it's... man. And I love him, JB, from FactSet, one for the road, earnings insight. And again, why do we put these up? Because earnings matter. That's the backbone. That's the foundation of everything we talk about, Dan. Go. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, guy. At some point, they don't matter or the relative growth of them, you know what I mean, don't matter. And we've been talking about this, you know, since FactSet has been a partner with us. We've had the opportunity over the last six months or so to get an early look at John Butter's Earnings Insight. That that newsletter drops every Friday morning, so you should sign up for that. I've been reading it for years, and I love these little tidbits. So we're in the middle of earnings season. John's saying 43% of the S&P 5 companies have already reported Q4 results. 76% of those S&P 500 companies have beat EPS, okay, which is basically in line with the average over the last five years. That's important to me. You know why? Because stocks have been going down, right? They've been going down. So I want to hear these sorts of inputs. And then when I think about this one, you know, not a huge surprise, but that tech and communication services or info services have been outperforming while industrials have been underperforming, okay? So the worst performance, well, if you think about tech, tech is down 2x the NASDAQ, at least, what the S&P is on the year. So that's a kind of interesting thing. That tells me one thing. And, guy, you and I have been talking about this. We have not been talking about PEs, price to earnings, a whole heck of a lot. You know why? Because earnings growth, you know, have been massaged by many of the biggest companies when you think about it, right, over the last few years with buybacks. What we've been focused on are price to sales ratios. Those are the things that have gotten really out of whack in tech, not in industrials. And I'm just curious your take on that because that, to me, is the main reason reason why we are seeing massive multiple contraction in many of these areas within tech. The price to sales numbers, that some, and you've been talking about this literally for the last two years. I mean, some of these companies reached levels we last saw in 99, 2000, which is we know of some more so than that. I more mean, so. which was yeah. complete absurdity. And now they're getting into, you know, now they're getting to levels that make a little more sense. We had Rick Heitzman or you had Rick Heitzman on with you in OK Computer, and he was talking about how blown out some of these price to revenues, price to sales have gotten. And now they're getting into more levels where it's reasonable. But they're still sort of, I think, exaggerated to the upside. But why will earnings matter? Because in a zero interest rate environment, nobody cares. In an environment where rates are going higher, people start to care. And I think that's what you're seeing in the stocks, Dan. Yeah, no doubt about it. So thanks to John Butters and Earnings Insight. Check that out. It drops tomorrow morning. I mean, listen, guy, you know, you and I, you know, we like to have fun with Market Call. And we had a little bit of fun today. We're really kind of serious because, you know, you and I have been trying to map this out a little bit on Market Call and Trading Spaces, on our podcast, on the tape, on CNBC's Fast Money. And sometimes we sound like a broken record and we catch some heat here a little bit. But we're trying to pick out some of the things that we think are important based on our 
experience, and you and I have been in the same camp. We thought that the equity market is in for an inflection period. It's been slow and steady since the bottom during the pandemic. And you've been saying specifically that if you're going to throw trillions of dollars of monetary and fiscal stimulus at this thing, and you're going to keep interest rates artificially low for too long, they were already low for too long past the last crisis, that it just something sooner or later is going to break. And that might be what we're on the precipice of right here. You know, you say broken record. I mean, I understand what people would say that there also is a level of consistency that we try to do without being dogmatic because it's important. It's easy to blow hot and cold to be really bullish on the big up days and bearish on the big down days. And there's no repercussions for that. Well, guess what? It doesn't do you any service either, which is why we try to sort of stay steadfast in some of our beliefs. Anyway, Dan, as we get to 1133, if you like the financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, please subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access that great content. Today's episode of Market Call brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, which EY is from SoFi, and Open Exchange. We'll see you here next week for Market Call Charts on Monday, Market Call Macro on Tuesday, and Market Call Street Research on the eve of the Super Bowl next week. Thursday. Later. Later.